This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. And Erio's production. Menopause is coming, and the men have all left town. But I'm not giving up until I see that baby crown. Thirty-nine and single, can someone help me out? He could be balding, bearded, shorter, tall, funny, smart, love basketball, from gay, straight, black, white. Hi everyone, thank you for joining me for another episode of Spermcast. I don't really have any updates for you this week. Um, maybe my mom will have some ideas. Hello. Hi. What's up? Do I have any do I have any updates this week for my podcast? From my point of view, yes. That your iron infusion between the two of them and your slightly altered pumping hours, you're I think a new person. Oh, okay. I think you I've heard you whistle several times. Okay, but I just have to say that just because I whistle doesn't mean I'm happy. I know. I understand that. I mean, not I that I'm have, not. It's just that I I think it's comforting to whistle and hum. Oh, I agree. That's why I talk to myself. It's one person that I know will always listen to me. <laughs> <laughs> no, but seriously, um, you you look better. You're you do. You're very you're physically very active. You're moving fast through the house and out to the office, and you seem, you know, more, much more um, on the planet. So those, uh-huh. that's just, that's just uh, you ask, so I'm telling you, that's, oh, what, I, thank you. that's what I perceive. I think uh, it was good to talk to you last night. I think that we haven't talked for a while. Yeah. And kind of uh, um, skirting around emotions, but... Um, yeah, that was good to talk to you. And I don't know. I just see some, just some brightness. That's and, good. Yeah. Have you guessed yet that I'm recording? <gasps> <laughs> oh, mother, Molly, I, I go to mother. <laughs> I, you always do this to me. <laughs> well, I don't have to use it if you don't want me to. No, it's fine. I didn't say I, I said all very good things about I it. I know you did. I know, I know. And and as always, you were, you pushed back. You were argumentative. I know. I, know. I always whistle. It's comforting. The other thing is that I dropped off 15 pounds of milk. Oh, you sure did. I couldn't. 
There was nothing left in the fridge except an old container of ice in the freezer. There was nothing except an old container of ice cream that had kind of been around a long time and an entire freezer full of um, bags of milk. So anyway, they, they really look beautiful and I'm tempted to have one the other day. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> uh. Uh. <laughs> then last night when you went upstairs... But you left your pump on in the TV room. Uh, you, you thought and about I, putting I, it on yourself? I thought if nobody was around, I would try. <laughs> <laughs> National Enquirer headline, 78-year-old <laughs> springs back to life. Oh, God. All right. Okay, okay. Go back to work. Thanks, Mom. Love you. Well, that was easy because now we can get to my special guest. Today, we're going to talk to a woman I met through the Ending a Wanted Pregnancy Facebook support group. She had to terminate a pregnancy for medical reasons as well, but she now has another child who happens to be sleeping on her lap for this whole interview. Hi. Hello. I hope this is okay. She's being calm now. It's okay. I'm just on the video. Oh, yeah. She also had a dog that was in her lap most of the interview, too. (laughs) How old is she? Um, she is a little over six weeks. I met Lindsay because last week when I posted in the Facebook group about kind of getting bashed on the internet, Lindsay was one of the 125 wonderful women who made me feel understood and supported and safe. Um, the women I meet through ending a wanted pregnancy are like all like the most amazing women. And I'm like, I just wish that our group would stop growing. I wish that no one else ever had to join it. And there's like three or four new introductions a day, and it's just like, oh, my God. Yeah. It definitely helps with feeling less alone, though. Like, I remember when I was going through it, I just, like, I I didn't know anyone that, that had to do that, you know, personally. And so it was like, I just felt like I was this this weird, like, freakazoid that was yeah. like, you know, didn't know how to talk to any of my friends, who, even friends who had had miscarriages. I was like... Yeah, like, I understand you know loss, but you didn't have to make the choice, which is different, you know? Yeah, yeah. Like me, Lindsay's been very open about her experience. She wrote an op-ed that was published in the New York Times. I, actually, the thing that sparked it was um, Infant Loss Awareness Month is October. And my therapist, who has been amazing, but she gave me a flyer that was like some gathering and it had all these types of infant loss, but termination for medical reasons was not on there. Yeah. It was like miscarriage, infant loss, stillbirth. And of course, like in our community, we know that like some people who suffered loss can be very judgmental of termination because they're like, I worked so hard to have a baby or like, yeah. I would love my baby no matter what. And I just was like, well, I'm not going to this because I don't know if I would be welcome. And I don't know if people would be judging me and I'm not going to like mince words and I was like, they're not going to want a baby killer like me there. And yeah. that was kind of what sparked because that's how I start the op-ed is yes. saying that. And part of that is because I was walking to work one day and it popped in my head and I couldn't get rid of it. And I was like, where is this coming from? And I was like, oh, like I have always been pro-choice and I never thought I would judge anyone. But you don't realize how ingrained some of those things are in your psyche. Yeah. Um, in this article, Lindsay tells us her story. So it was my first pregnancy, mm-hmm. and like this is another way that I felt really fortunate. My husband and I had been married for about three years, and we decided we wanted to try. And like literally the first month we tried, we got pregnant. And I remember saying to a friend, 
I just feel like this is too easy. Is it supposed to be this easy? Like I just <gasps> keep waiting for something to happen. Oh and they were like, God. well, some people just have easy pregnancies and then forgot about that. And then later on was like, did I jinx myself? Uh, <laughs> don't even get me started with the jinxing. Oh my God. I have caused that everything can... that's happened to me my, just uh, by having conversations like this. Yes. You start thinking of all these little tiny things, but, um, you know, everything went well in the beginning of the pregnancy. All of the first tests came back well. And then we had our 20-week our scan, which I think we actually had it like around 21 or 22 weeks, which played into uh, once we had the poor diagnosis, part of the time crunch. Yeah. But um, yeah, we went to our 20-week scan and everything was so amazing. I still remember like seeing her spine and like seeing all her fingers and toes. And like my husband was there with me and just being like, so amazed like this is incredible that we can see all this detail and then at the very end the tech was like there's something that I'm not sure what it is I need you to come back tomorrow the doctor's not here now like come back tomorrow and I was like what and they literally said nothing else and then we went back the next day you know they saw us pretty quickly well the doctor who came in first of all he didn't know what he was supposed to be checking on on me he was like he like asked one of the nurses like, uh, oh, and what are we doing? And she tapped her head. And I was like, oh, my God, oh there's my... something wrong with my baby's head. Oh, my God. And then he grabbed the wand and was like the roughest. Like even my husband was like, w-. he was really rough with you. And was he so he was he trying to move the baby with his hands? I think he was trying to move the baby with the, with the wand. Yeah. Like the, the ultrasound wand. Yeah. And and then it was like, oh, there's like a cyst in the front part of the brain Cysts are pretty common, but usually not in that location. And I'm like trying to ask more questions. And he was like, I think we should do an amnio and then I'm going to refer you to Columbia um, Pediatric Neurology. And I was like saying, you know, like, well, how concerned should we be trying to ask more questions? And all he said was, you know, we're, we're going to do the amnio. There's a small risk of miscarriage, but that's not going to happen. Basically, it was just try not to worry. Columbia's going to take really good care of you. By the way. You can't actually call them. They will call you. So you just have to go home and wait. And so we waited almost a week before we heard from Columbia to schedule an appointment. And then the appointment was like a week after that. So it was like a week and a half of waiting for the amnio results, which the amnio results came back fine. There was nothing genetically (sighs) abnormal. Okay. So it was like this little shred of hope. Right. And then we had to go and have a fetal MRI done. Yeah. Which, when I've thought about writing a book, one of the stories I would tell is about the fetal MRI because if it it was like both horrifying and like also incredibly hilarious because <laughs> I am like slightly claustrophobic, yeah. so like freaking out about being in there. And like I think sometimes TV misleads you about what MRIs can be like because usually they like show that you can like there's like some added opening above the person's head yeah but for my mri i was like 100 percent in 100 percent in this tube oh my god and like felt like i was encased in in a tomb and mm. i didn't understand that the ball that they gave me i was supposed to squeeze if they needed them to take me out oh. and i was trying not to panic so i was squeezing it like it was a stress ball oh. <laughs> they like took me right out and they're like what's the matter and I was like, oh, oh, sorry. I was I was squeezing it because I thought it was a stress ball. I, I, I can go back in. <sighs> and the woman kept being like, you know, don't open your eyes. Keep your eyes closed. 
and just, you know, tune into the sound of, of, of the clicking, which I was like, okay, there'll be like a rhythmic clicking. (laughs) (laughs) And like not in any kind of normal pattern or anything. And I was like, and so I finally, I was like, can someone please, can I like have some music or something to listen to? They went and got me these like janky headphones. They, they put it on. I, they didn't ask me what kind of music. And so the first song that comes on is like a Celine Dion song. And I'm like, okay, I can do this. This is fine. And then there was a U2 song. And I was like, all right, like not, this is okay. But for the first like 20 minutes, it played those two songs over and no. over and over again. And I was like, all right, here we go, Celine. We're going to do it again. And I was like, keep your eyes closed and just listen to the words. And I was trying, I was trying. And then... I kid you not, the full-length version of Thriller came on <laughs> with, like, that really spooky voice. No. And I was like, what? I was like, no, this is not happening. And, but then, like, periodically, Celine oh would come God. back. And, like, you two would. And I was like, this is, like, the weirdest playlist ever. Like, I don't understand what's oh happening. But I was like. But I, the baby wouldn't hold still. And, you know, they're trying mm-hmm. to get an image of her brain. This is mm-hmm. very specific. So I was in there for well over an hour. <sighs> and sometime in there, when I went in, it was this very lovely black woman with this very warm, calming voice who was talking to me. And then all of a sudden, I hear this deep man's voice that goes, Lindsay? <laughs> and I kid you not, my eyes opened and in my head. I was like, God? <laughs> like, <laughs> like god talking to me and then i was like shit i opened my eyes i'm not supposed to open my eyes i'm gonna freak out that i opened my eyes they changed text and no one told me and so there was just this like man this would be so hilarious if i were not so terrified because yeah. i'm terrified to be in closed spaces and i'm terrified that something is wrong with my baby yeah but there are moments in the experience that i'm like oh like this this is going to be one of the things that I remember about like my time with my daughter that I could still find the humor and things and like mm. try and think about that as a shared experience with her. Mm. So the MRI showed that, that it wasn't a cyst. It was actually like one and a half centimeters of just missing space in her frontal lobe Aww. that just never developed the corpus callosum, which joins the left and right sides of the brain was missing and then there was like a third area that they said, oh, the, the brain matter is rough, which means that it didn't fold properly. Okay. Um, and so it was one of those things where they like, no one could say for sure how bad it would be, just that it was going to be bad, you know? Yeah. Mine was very similar. Mine, um, well, there was the size of her brain, which was small. My MRI experience was... Not as funny as yours. <laughs> she she was moving the whole time. They were trying to get good images, but um, she had a small small brain. I can't remember the. It was severe micro microencephaly, and then also a piece of her brain was missing from below the temporal lobes, and enlarged ventricle, and something else. Smooth brain, and yours was rough. Yeah, so there's all these things that can go wrong. And they didn't tell me, they couldn't tell me exactly what what it meant. Hey everyone, I finally got the MRI report and I kind of basically have an official diagnosis. Though it is a lot of information and it's a lot emotionally. So I'm going to talk about it all in another episode 
probably with a doctor. Yeah, no, but I think that's one thing that I think over time I really had to make peace with was like, I, I actually, this is so weird, but I think you might understand in our support group, I, in the early days, I would actually be kind of jealous of people who had fatal diagnoses. I understand like I, that hundred percent. I would be like, I, I am envious that you knew that your baby would not live because yeah. I was told your baby probably will live, but we, I mean, your baby might not live because you're still only halfway through the pregnancy. So you don't know how else the baby is going to develop or what right. might happen because something has already gone wrong. Right. And that was something that was really hard was like, it's all of these gray shades of what could go wrong. And I think sometimes in our society, I am now almost two years out from my loss. Mm-hmm. And so something that I've also learned is that I never want to talk about this in a way that adds stigma to um, the disabled community, because I don't want to say anyone with any kind of um impairment or challenge that cannot have a fulfilling life, which is very hard because I made the choice because I felt like my child would not have a life that was worth living. And if I had known for certain, okay, you'll just have to do a lot of work with speech and she might always have a speech impediment or Mm -hmm. she won't be able to walk, but she'll be able to read and write Or even just like, she'll be blind. Like if someone could have said definitively, Mm -hmm. it will only be this thing or it will only be these two things. Mm -hmm. But the severity of the abnormalities were such that I was like, she could be like trapped in a body where she can't communicate or like receive anything from the world. And for me, it was like, I knew within like 10 minutes of the diagnosis, I was like, I am not going to bring my child into this world to be trapped in her body. Yeah. Like I'm, I'm not going to do that to her. I felt the um, same way. Yeah. And I think some people, you know, that op ed, I, my husband put all the comments into a word document for me and sorted them into like supportive political and like didn't save the shitty ones so that yeah. I wouldn't be bombarded. Yeah. But I know that some people think like, Oh, you just didn't want to deal with a disabled child. And it's like, you know, and the way we have to write about it so that people so that everyone can kind of understand without going into details. It's like, I don't think you grasp like the severity of what was explained to me. And so it's like, I'm not saying that children who have disabilities aren't worth bringing into this world, Mm -hmm. but I wasn't willing to take the gamble. And I think that's one of the things that is really hard about this loss. Yeah. What did you say commenters were saying, oh, you just don't want to deal with a disabled child. There's another aspect of... Um, oh my gosh, how dare you consider your own life, Molly? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> it's not not a part of it for me. I didn't feel like I would be capable of, of taking care of a severely disabled child. If I had known that we had like unlimited financial resources and someone could have said, these are all the things you would deal with, that would have been different. But also I have a stepdaughter. My husband has a child from a previous relationship. She is 22 now, but she would have been faced with the the burden of once me and my husband were gone, she, would she be expected to take care of the sibling? And also just like, we are not a country who provides great financial resources, you know, for people who face this. So it's like, I don't want you to, you shouldn't end your child's life. But also if you have 
severe needs that are going to require lifelong care, if you can't provide that care, the affordable options might be really shitty and you wouldn't want to put your child there. Or you're just going to be expected to somehow like pull yourself up by your bootstraps. And it was like, I knew that like my husband and I are not in a position of having endless financial resources to support something like that. And so there's like, for me, it was like all this like instinctual feeling of knowing like this is not what I'm doing to my family. And it wasn't until I've had months and years to process it to be like, these are all of the things that kind of flash through my mind in a moment. And I wouldn't be able to articulate at that time. But there's also this like, our society doesn't trust us to make Mm -hmm. decisions. (laughs) And also we're like supposed to be vessels who put you know, the child above all other needs, Mm -hmm. which I think is also not healthy, even if you don't have a poor diagnosis, like you should take care of yourself as a human as well. Mm -hmm. And we are not taught that. I mean, this is true for mental health as well. I mean, I, I'm getting a little bit off topic here, but I ended up going on antidepressants about five months after my loss. And um, part of my concern was I don't want to be put on something that I can't then try and get pregnant on because I don't want to feel better and then have to take six months to get on something else. Mm -hmm. So I always said like, you know, I I want to be on something that is safe for me to use throughout a subsequent pregnancy, whether I choose to do that or not. And I stayed on it. And that's a very controversial choice to stay on antidepressants and have anxiety medication. Like I had an antidepressant that I took every day and I had a rescue anxiety medicine that I took maybe a couple times a month. And it's like, some people would say, well, how could you put your child at risk? And it's like, well, if I was a shell of a human being when this baby was born, how would that be helpful? You know, they'd be at risk. And so that's like another thing. And so to get back to my, my experience, another thing that I think was really hard was that I wish I had had a social worker assigned to me because like once I got the diagnosis, it was like all this information comes from different people, right? Mm -hmm. And there's not like a single person that's like connecting all the pieces. You're supposed Mm -hmm. to be doing this while you're in crisis. So they connected me with Columbia who gave us the diagnosis, then connected me with a pediatric neurologist to like talk to about questions for the brain scan because they could Mm -hmm. they could just say, this is what we see but we can't tell you the implications. You have to talk to this other person. So you had to wait again to talk to a pediatric neurologist. neurologist. Meanwhile, Mm. they said, you know, it's a very personal choice about whether to keep this pregnancy. We can connect you to our family planning center. And I said, well, please connect me. And like, by the time we saw the pediatric neurologist two days later, my husband and I were pretty certain we were going to end the pregnancy, but we just wanted to, you know, have a chance to talk. And he, and the, you know, the pediatric neurologist basically said, like, you know, it's hard because we can't say with any certainty, but he's like, this is, this is really bad. And I would, you know, I, I would support that choice if that's the choice that you're making. But no one ever told me that labor and delivery was an option. So family planning, they refer you and it's basically when you're far along as we were, you have the DNA and, mm-hmm. That means that you can't meet your child. You can't hold the child. If you're lucky, you get footprints. Did you get footprints? I did not get footprints. No one, no one told me about that option. So I, no one told me about that option. They just did it for me, which like 
yeah. I'm glad they did. And I'm so sorry for you that but this is another thing that frustrates me is like, there's no, it's such, it's still such a rare thing. There's like no best practices about how to continue yeah. to support the family, like while you're going through it, but also like, what are they going to need during recovery? <laughs> I'm just shocked at like, I mean, from what I've learned, this doesn't, it's not that rare. It does happen. So why are there not systems in place for when this does happen? There's nothing. Yeah, you're just, everyone's throwing information at you. You don't even know if there's anywhere you can go. For me, I didn't know if I would find somebody that would terminate the pregnancy. And I was scared that I wouldn't be able to do it. I mean, I had had a night like that where I was just like, wait a minute. What if I can't get anybody to do this? Yeah. And you know what's crazy is in New York, it's not illegal, but people don't want to do it because exactly A, the legislation is gray, like it's confusing, mm-hmm. and B, there's so much stigma around it that people don't want to put their own safety at risk to, to do mm-hmm. these procedures. And so mm-hmm. even in New York State where you can point to legislation and say, oh, we're progressive and, and like women can make this choice, in reality – you might be making the choice, but you might still have to go somewhere else to get the care that you need, depending on where you're at. And so, yeah. like, I was referred to family planning and someone from scheduling, I mean, it wasn't their fault. They kept calling to be like, do you want to confirm this appointment? And they only do terminations on Friday. So if I was going to do it, I had to do, start by the Wednesday. Like, I had to start it a week after we got our diagnosis or I uh. I would be past because the legislation had the date that they would do yeah, it. Yeah, the legislation had technically cleared in New York State, but they told me it hadn't gone into effect yet for um, the Good RHA Lord. law, which I found out later. As soon as it had been passed, it went into effect. So, like, they weren't even properly informed. Jesus Christ! And so I was getting calls from, you know, the family planning center, and they're like, "Do you do you want us to confirm this appointment for you?" And I said, "Well, I I think that I want the appointment, but I would like to speak with a doctor." Like, I want to understand what's happening. And they said, okay, the doctor will call you, but um, this was like on a Friday. They're not available until Monday. Should we confirm the appointment? And I was like, again, I think I want the appointment, but I would like to speak to the doctor. And who in the world has major surgery without talking to a doctor? Yeah. Like, that seems like a pretty basic request. So I went into the weekend just waiting yeah. And then on Monday, I I finally got the call from the family planning center. And the only reason I knew to ask about labor and delivery was because my mom used to be a NICU nurse. And she said, oh. have you asked them if you would get to hold her? And so they said, no. But if the family planning center said labor and delivery is an option, but you would have to do that with your regular OB. We don't do that here. And I said, mm. okay. My I was at the very small practice whose office wasn't open on Mondays. So I had to call (laughs) and leave a voicemail and wait for him to call me back on Tuesday. And I had to start Mm. the procedure by the following day. Otherwise, I wouldn't be able to do it. And so this is like basically the same shit happened to me. I mean, just different factors, but like having to figure it all out like that. And so I'm like, I'm exhausted. I'm in crisis. I'm just waiting. My OB calls me back. My OB has no idea what's going on because none of my results from Columbia have been sent to him yet. So then I had to explain to my doctor Mm -hmm. my diagnosis through tears because, you know, I'm Mm -hmm. I'm exhausted. I'm crushed. I'm devastated. I'm trying to, like, figure out what is the best thing. I'm in denial that this is happening. And he says, 
He's like, well, sometimes these things happen and you just have to do this. I said, well, I'm really curious about doing labor and delivery. And he said, well, you can do that, but I don't do that. I was like, okay. He said, "If, if you want to do that, I'll refer you to Dr. C. I won't say their name. This is the doctor who was awful during the sonogram to uh-huh. look at the brain. Okay. This doctor who I did not trust and did not like. Yeah. And then my OB said, and you know, I really think the DNA is safer because you could end up being in the hospital for three days with the labor and decided I don't trust the doctor that yeah. my OB is referring me to. I don't know anything about that hospital. Okay. I'm just going to do the DNA. And what I wish I had done was gone back to the family planning and said, my OB won't do it. Do you have someone that you recommend who would mm-hmm. do it? Mm-hmm. But I, I, I didn't have the capability of doing that. And so I decided to go with the DNA. And the team was wonderful. But I will say if I have any regrets, it's that now after like two years out, I realized that that was not actually the decision that I wanted to make. I just felt like I didn't have any other safe decisions. Like yeah, I, I felt I, the same way. And so it was like, I know that I don't want this baby to continue to grow and be born into the world because I think that would be cruel. I think this is the safest choice for me and for her. But it's not really what I wanted. Like, I really wanted the chance to hold her and say goodbye. But I didn't feel like I had a good choice to do that. And like, that's another thing that I have a lot of anger about is that mm-hmm. I feel like I was just like this ping pong ball that was like thrown back and forth between all of these people. And then I was somehow supposed to make this decision without anyone advocating for me except for me. And I was in crisis. Yeah. And I'm. it sounds like you went through something very similar. Yeah. But mine was a little bit almost the opposite, which was that I did not want to do the labor and delivery uh, because I, 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 I didn't think I could handle it. And I was given the name of a clinic that could do the DNA. And we reached out to some random OBGYN in, at Columbia, actually. And I heard through her assistant or something like that that she thinks that a DNA would not be good for me, that I should do labor and delivery. And I was like, oh, no, I can't do that. I can't, I can't do this. Yeah. And, but she thought it would be the safer option for me. Then I went ahead and did the DNA and ended up in the hospital. Yeah. And now I'm regretting that you didn't. What I really wish that I would have had was just more information going into all of this. That it would have been available to me and explained in a like straightforward way that I could comprehend and that I could make that decision once I knew all of the knew everything. Yeah. And I probably would I might have still gotten the DNA. Also, I was shocked to know that, find out that it was a multiple day. Mine was two days, but maybe it should have been three. And yours was three, right? Mine was three. Yeah. Yeah. I'm surprised it, that yours was only two. Yeah, I know. It makes me wonder if that's what caused some of me your, too. your complications. Me yeah. too. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? 
All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Yeah, so we went and we, we had, to, and the doctor was amazing, but also like, I remember she asked me where I went to college and I was like, Oh, I went to Colgate. And she goes, Oh yeah. Football. She goes, my brother went to Bucknell. I think there was a big rivalry there. And I was like, Oh yeah. And I was like, I was like, this is so weird. I was like, is this what people talk about? Like, (laughs) (laughs) I, I, I'm so confused. And why did she ask you where you went to college? I think she was just making conversation like she would with like someone who was getting a pap smear. Oh my gosh. I think that's what was happening. And like the other thing is, I don't, did you, were you able to have anyone with you because no, well, because of COVID you couldn't, right? Yeah. Yeah. My husband was able to come in, but they only let your partner come in after a certain point because they want to make sure you're not being coerced. Oh my God. And so like I went in and I was like, can my husband come in? They're like, oh yeah, he can come in. Just not yet. And like at the time I was like, I don't understand. But part of it was because, like, I had to sign the paperwork. And, like, that's another thing in being in a partnership is even if you say you make the choice together, he didn't have to sign a paperwork that said you might die if you go this through this procedure. And you, like, oh, my God. And so, like, that's another thing that was just heavy at the time. <sighs> but the second day they were putting in the laminaria sticks, I was in so much pain. I kept actually, like, they couldn't actually keep and it's funny because something afterwards happened that's funny and I know that a lot of people might not understand why you laugh but like you find whatever you can in the moment to like get through and so like the yeah, absurdity are funnier to me now <laughs> yeah like the absurdity of certain things and like the kind of macabre sense of humor that you develop is like I realize this might be really disturbing to other people but like once you've been through something like this like you understand why people use this as a coping mechanism but mm-hmm. I kept pushing out the speculum because I was tensing so much because it Uh hurt. And I kept apologizing. I was like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And she was like, you don't have to apologize. And I think back on it and I was like, why was I apologizing? And I was like, oh, because I'm a woman and I've been socialized (laughs) to not be an inconvenience to anyone. Yes. But she was like, well, you should just be feeling pressure. It shouldn't hurt. And I said, no, I was like, this this hurts. This doesn't Mm. just feel like pressure. She goes, okay, let me try a different speculum. And I was like, there are different kinds of speculum. She goes, she goes, yeah, she goes, this one's a little bit narrow. Let me try this. So she tries it and it like feels totally different. It's not painful. It's just like a little bit of pressure. And I was like, that is totally different. She goes, oh, That's well, so in the weird. future, you should ask for the Peterson. <laughs> and my husband and I looked at each other and we start giggling because my husband's name is Peter. <laughs> and so we're like <laughs> sitting there in this horrible, horrible moment and like <sighs> laughing and I'm like, the Peterson. I was like, I <laughs> will remember that. And I also was like, it took me having to end a pregnancy that I really want to learn that there are different size speculums. Yeah. And that you can ask for one that will cause you less pain. Unbelievable. And I was like, this is insane. And like, sure enough, like a year later when I had to have a pap smear, I said, I was like, oh, and if you could use the Peterson and the gynecologist looked at me and was like, I have literally never had a patient who's requested like a specific 
speculum. And first of all, I wanted to be like, well, why doesn't anyone teach us that you have different shaped vaginas and I can make this less painful? And then I had another one who was like, oh, honey, I'm a woman. I don't ever use anything but the Peterson. And And, like, that's another thing now that like, I I think sometimes people think that thinking of my first child is always sad, but it's not. And I, Mm -hmm. I don't know where you're at. And if I hope that you will get to this point of having memories that you can smile when you think of them because now I think anytime I get a pap smear and I think of the Peterson, I'm going to think of my daughter and laugh and it will be like, (laughs) it's like I get to have this inside joke with my child who I feel like I still have a relationship with, but she's not physically here. And I think sometimes people don't ever want to bring it up because they just assume that it's always a sad thing, but it's not. Mm -hmm. So we went through the the three-day procedure and do you, I, do you well, mind telling us how far along you were at that point yeah i was i was 23 w- weeks and 6 days on mm-hmm. on the day that they did the surgery um so i was i was just a day shy of being at 24 weeks which would have put me outside of the the cutoff and i would have had to go um somewhere else and I will say the team the doctors were the nursing team and the doctor was amazing like everybody was so kind and considerate um I sometimes look back and I I don't really know how I like physically got in the car to go to those appointments because I I know how did we do that and walk into the room I don't know and like (sighs) all I can think is is that like your body really does as like a human have a way of like managing crisis that it just, you just go into survival mode. And like, cause I remember the first time, the first day that they put in the laminaria sticks and they finished, I remember I just started crying and I looked at my husband and I said, I, I, I don't want her to go. Like, I don't want her to go. But having that emotional response, but still knowing that I had to do it for yeah. her. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, I'm going to lose it now. It's, yeah. It's, sorry. No, please don't be sorry because that's just, it's the worst, it's the worst like contradictory feelings I've ever felt in my life. Like I love you and would do anything for you. I really don't want you to go. Yeah. But I have to do this for you because... I'm your mother and because I love you, I, I, I know that this is what's right for you. And it, it just sucks so much when you're like, what is right for you is ending your life. And, um, yeah, you know, months later, I I still, I talk to my daughter all the time now. Yeah. But there was a time where I felt like she's never going to understand because she's a baby and she's going to think that I didn't want her. That's how I was feeling. I mean, I've, I've been talked out of feeling that way, but but I've had that feeling many times. Yeah. And there was like a period where I couldn't talk to her anymore. Like I, I felt like I didn't deserve to talk to her. Mm-hmm. It's learning to like hold contradictory feelings. Like that's what I feel like this whole journey has been is learning to hold those two feelings simultaneously of... I really didn't want you to go. I would do anything for you to be here, but I only want you here if you were going to be healthy. You know, I actually took a screenshot of something you said. Oh, uh, oh man, uh, hold on. <laughs> no, it's fine. 
Our child would not be given a life of pain and suffering. Instead, we would take her pain on as our own. Yep. Yeah. That really uh, stood out to me. I will say that I never regretted the choice that we made. I regretted that she was so sick. And I did go through a period where I was, I thought it must have been something I did. And I've learned through therapy. We tell ourselves that because we don't like the feeling of not having control. So we tell ourselves it must have been something we did. Because if it was something we did, then I control it and I can keep it from happening again. Yeah. You know, the truth is, I will never know why I had. Like, yeah, your a, amnio said nothing. Did they do further than uh, did they do further tests or they, just they did like we were lucky that with Columbia, they were doing um, a genetic study. And so for free, we were enrolled in like oh, cool. they could do the most sequencing that is like capable with our technology of both her DNA, but also for me and my husband. And they didn't find anything that was genetically related, which means yeah. They said, you know, you could have had a virus that you didn't even know you had. And did they um, test for any viruses? I don't think so. Not at the time. Were you tested for other things to see if um, it- It's going in in steps. My first round of re- results showed that there were no mutations for the things that they test for in the first round. So then they tested for more things that were specific to microcephaly, or they're doing that now. It got delayed because of insurance stuff. So I'm hoping... I'm hoping to have some sort of answers from that, but I'm doubting that I will. And then after that, I think that they'll test the fluid for viruses. So I think they're saving the viruses for the end, but they did say that the steep drop-off from my 20-week scan to my basically 24-week scan in the size of her brain and the piece of her brain missing might indicate that there was a virus. I was in basic isolation because of COVID. So I'm not like around a bunch of other kids that are going to give me whatever it is that kids give you. Then there's toxoplasmosis, which is basically cat poop. And I don't have cats, but I was gardening, but I was wearing gloves. Did I do this? But I did everything right. I wore the gloves. And then Zika. I I was bragging in the summer how I never get mosquito bites, but maybe I, maybe I got a mosquito bite that I didn't feel. And, and it was the one. Yeah. I'm I'm simultaneously terrified of finding out that I caused toxoplasmosis or whatever it's called, but also I want to know the answer so that I know what to not do next time. Yep. I remember that feeling so well. And the way that I have found that I can deal with it is that I actually met up with one of the moderators who's from, from ending a wanted pregnancy, mm-hmm. but we met up in a coffee shop and like she... I mean, it was wonderful because she said, you know, it's just so hard and I'm just so sorry you're going through this. And I was expressing some of my concerns about the future. And she said, you know, one thing I've realized, though, is that there are no guarantees in parenting and that's parenting. Yeah. And at the time I was like, why are you saying this to me? Like, this is awful. But it's also like it's so true. And like, I feel very blessed that I have a living child now, but I also am not, I'm not under any illusions that I am guaranteed a first day of kindergarten or like a graduation oh. from high school. And in some yeah. ways it's terrifying, but the way that I've found to be able to still move forward and not be in a constant state of fear is like accepting 
that I really don't have very much control. <laughs> like yeah. I would like to believe that I have a lot of control, but actually I can do all the right things and something really bad can still happen. And some people can make that go into a place of fear where they're, they just, they try and micromanage everything to mm-hmm. protect their family. And I understand that response, but I have tried to instead embrace, I don't have any control over things. The most I can do is appreciate today and hope that tomorrow is, is good. And in some ways that's like, I think one of the best gifts that I got from my first daughter was this gift of letting go of the illusion of control and trying to just appreciate a moment, but not also take for granted that the next moment is going to happen. Mm. And I can imagine that for some people that feels like a very terrifying or maybe pessimistic way to live. But I think for me, it's the way I found peace with it because, uh, you know, I, I, I know from other people who've had sub pregnancies that didn't go well, that just because I went through one terrible thing didn't mean that I would, I was guaranteed a healthy pregnancy or a healthy child. And I think that's, that's really hard for people who haven't been through something awful to want to accept because everyone wants to believe there's like a karmic balance. And when you've gone through something shitty, you have earned your happy ending. Yeah. I think, sorry that, but I think that's something that a lot of people listening don't know that happens like people try and have a subsequent pregnancy and it doesn't work i at first when i when when i found out about things happening i i thought well this this would never happen again but i've learned through this group seeing that um it does happen twice yeah and it's it's even more rare it's not the normal it's not i wouldn't say that it's once you've had bad luck you're guaranteed to have bad luck but you also (laughs) see some of these women who just have like hit after hit after hit and you're like this is so unfair like why doesn't life give them a break and it's like yeah sometimes bad shit just happens and for no reason yeah like there you is said. no reason yeah I was always someone before that who like felt like everything happens for a reason and even when things were disappointing I could find the silver lining yeah and oh boy do I not believe that yeah. anymore you I can give don't. something a meaning, a reason yeah. at, after the fact. You can make something out of it, but I don't think it happens. I don't think it happens for that reason, for any reason. Have people told you that? Because that's something that I people still. S- no, I don't then we went on to talk about subsequent pregnancies and how she got past the fear of not knowing what happened and not knowing whether it would happen again or not. Yeah, the fear was really hard. Basically, what I had to do was just focus on each day at a time, like to the point of I didn't want to take birth classes. I, Mm -hmm. it took us a really long time to even like create like what was now the nursery in our apartment because I just didn't want to focus on anything except for the next day. Right. And I will say every doctor's appointment that I went to was exhausting Mm -hmm. because there was also the feeling of like reliving the trauma. So like every Mm -hmm. time I went to an appointment, I felt like I was in the present, but also in the past simultaneously. Mm -hmm. Your body remembered. Yeah. Which again, not wanting to give advice if you don't want it, but I have found for (laughs) myself that I've had to think about 
like three aspects of my experience, which was the physical trauma, the grief of losing my daughter, and then eventually sliding into depression. And all three of those things are very much interwoven, but I found that I have to approach each item with different tools. Mm -hmm. And for the trauma piece, I wish I had found this earlier, but when I was about eight months pregnant, I did a havening session. I don't know if you've heard of this. That's a word I don't know of. <laughs> I very, love it. Tell me. I think me. it's a little bit related to EMDR therapy. I was, gonna, I was thinking about EMDR. The woman that I found is also like a practicing doula, which was really helpful. But I basically went and over like two hours, she it's like they do it through touch where she like gently strokes your face and your shoulders and your arms. And uh-huh. it's kind of like this by, – by doing the physical touch, it's kind of um, – activating the physical body and the way your um, neurological system has been impacted by the trauma. Mm -hmm. As you're going through this in a controlled way, you remember traumatic events to basically trigger your traumatic response, but then you process it together in a way that helps you kind of release the internalized physical experience. Yeah. Yeah which I think is something that a lot of people think that talk therapy treats trauma, but like trauma lives in the body or this is, I am not an expert. This is not like, you know, medically informed, but from what I have learned and from what my own experience has taught me about trauma is that like my traumatic response is usually a physical response over which I don't have control. Like Mm -hmm. physically my body is reacting to a memory or something Mm -hmm. that I, I can't like, think myself out of. And through this two hour session, we went through a lot of the trauma of the diagnosis and um, the termination. And I would just encourage anyone who's going through something that also had a physical traumatic aspect to it to really assess if the tools and the um, coping techniques that you're seeking out are are addressing that piece as well, because I think it is different from grief. And I think it's not super well understood by medical professionals or by society. My body, like when the doc, when the doctor first saw something on the ultrasound and when, when the actual doctor came in the room to tell me, so the baby's head is measuring a few weeks too small. I was okay in my mind. And my body immediately was cold and my knees and my legs were shaking and my knees were doing that back and forth kind of up and down kind of thing. But my brain, I was like, my body knows something's wrong before my brain has even processed it. Yeah. Exactly how do the havening techniques work? We believe the consequences, this is from the havening website. We believe the consequences of trauma and stressful life events are stored in the brain and are activated by conscious or inadvertent recall. Once the recall occurs, symptoms are generated. This activation also makes the pathway that generates these feelings subject to disruption. The havening techniques are designed to disrupt this pathway through a process called synaptic depotentiation. It is as if we darken a room by pulling a plug on a lit lamp. Although we can't provide any guarantees, the emotions and sometimes even the ability to recall the memory can be extinguished after performing the havening techniques. Oh gosh, this seems like that movie that everyone loves that I'm, I don't love that much. What's that movie called? Pineapple something, something with a fruit maybe, Tangerine? Clementine. No, that's the name of the girl. (laughs) 
Anyway, I'm into it. But I don't like that movie very much. But honestly, Molly, you're you are like so early. Your only job right now is like to it's get true. is like you wake up every day and you get through that day. Yeah. And what I would do when I was at your phase, I would just give myself one thing that I was going to accomplish that day. And sometimes it was like taking a shower. Yeah. And I, and it would take me all day. Like, yeah, I'd be like, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. And then I wouldn't do it until four. And then I'd be like, <laughs> yeah, I did it. <laughs> and if I talked to somebody, they'd be like, I took a shower today. And they'd be like, that's good. And I'd be like, no, no, no. I don't think you understand. <laughs> I got myself up. I washed my hair. Like yeah. I took a real shower and that can be your only goal on any given day. Like Absolutely. frankly, it's amazing to me that you're like still working on your podcast. <laughs> and I mean, I don't want to, it is like you can do, you do whatever like feels right in the moment. And like sometimes for me, like I learned how to knit and that was like something very like mm. tactile that I could do and like I had to stop doing that. Oh, really? I mean, I I associate crocheting with making blankets for the baby. Oh. Oh, I'm sorry. I don't want to yeah. touch any yarn. <laughs> that that is totally fair. I totally yeah. get that. Yeah. Uh, but but like, no, I, but I get yeah. what you're saying though about I don't know, doing what feels right. The podcast feels right for me. It's like That's therapy good. for me. It's always been like my weekly check-in with myself. If nothing else, it's a yeah a way for me to process emotions, I guess. That's good. Yeah. I think I loved in your episode that you said, please don't give me advice about what I should do for the future. Um, right, right, right. And I encourage people to keep following that because <laughs> it's not like you're not thinking about it, but it's also like not the top priority because you're still trying to process this horrible thing that it's not like it went you went through it in the past. You're still going through it. And the reality is for me, when I think about how to deal with the anxiety, part of what was so hard for me was that I woke up every morning and it was like I was re-horrified every morning. Oh my God, this really happened. Oh my God, I never get to wake up with this not having happened. Yeah. And it doesn't matter how much I do therapy or how far away I get from it. There, I, you can't escape this. Like, there's no leaving this behind. This is now, like, this thing that I will carry with me always. I think that was honestly one of the hardest things for me. And I, something that eventually, not, not right away, but something that eventually would trigger me every day to feel absolutely despondent was when I would go and pour myself a cup of coffee because mm-hmm. I would be like. I got through a day yesterday and I have to do this all over again. And I would pour the cup of coffee and I would just start crying because I would be like, it's another day and it still happened and she's still not here and she's never going to be here. And I'm always going to be, I'm always going to be without my baby. And yeah, having another baby brings you a different kind of peace, but it, it doesn't, it doesn't make anything okay. I mean, it's has it even been a full month since you? It has been um, six, almost six weeks, which is like almost. I mean, it's not zero. Although time, I want to include the time, the two weeks leading up to it too. Yeah, where, yeah, that's part of it too. It's totally part of it. But I also think you know, 
time is like a weird like black hole where it's like every day feels like this huge accomplishment, but then also eight weeks have gone by and doesn't feel like eight weeks. Right. Yeah. I don't I feel like it was, I don't understand how it's been so long. I, that's just crazy to me. I mean, that continues like that feeling of I'm coming up on two years and there will be days where something will happen. And I feel like it happened yesterday. Like that yeah. doesn't happen as frequently. Yeah. But that whole phrase of time heals all wounds. I'm like, no, it doesn't. <laughs> Time helps you build the muscles to figure out how to carry it better, oh, but it yeah. doesn't actually make the pain any less. Like yeah. I'm never going to be, it's never going to be less painful. I just, I know how to live with the pain now because I've been doing it for two years. Yeah. It's not that it's less painful. I think that that is true of most losses, but I think especially the loss of a child is like not a loss that ever dulls yeah in my but that's my opinion if other people experience it differently that's great but that's not how I've experienced it I've said this already but I'm afraid that it will dull and I I'm really afraid of losing that connection but in some ways you almost like cherish the deepness of the pain that you're feeling I mean you you earned the right to feel that pain for as like yeah in its intensity for as long as you want to feel it. And then you've also earned the right to like make a joke about something and laugh. Like it's everyone should be able to chart their own path. Yeah. Well, Lindsay, thank you so much for talking to me and telling all of us your story and sharing your wisdom with us. (laughs) I mean it. I know that sounds corny. (laughs) No, I, I appreciate that. And any, any questions you have, if you ever feel like, I mean, you have my phone number now and my email, if you ever just, yeah, even if you're having a moment of, there's a couple of people from the group I have, you know, a great text messaging relationship with, oh. but if you, if you need that and it's, it's useful, feel free to text me if you need it. If it's not useful, then I'll, I'll see you on Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> I'll probably meet. I feel like I'll meet you one day. I don't know. I just feel I like I will. I would love to meet you one day. <laughs> Thank Bye. you so much. It was so nice meeting you. Really and I'll nice talk to you really you. soon. Yeah. Okay, and I hope I do get to meet you. Thanks. Okay. Bye. <laughs> Bye. Thank you again, Lindsay. That was really helpful for me. And I'm sure it was helpful for a lot of my listeners, whether they're going through something like this or they know someone who is or has. Listeners, if you want to read her op-ed, I'm linking it in my show notes. And if you're going through something like we're going through, God forbid, you can go to endingawantedpregnancy.com and you'll find the support group there as well as lots of other information. Now I got to get out of here. If you want to support the show, I would love it if you became a Patreon member. Go to patreon.com forward slash spermcast and subscribe for a couple bucks a month. You can also support the show by Venmoing molly hyphen hockey. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. If you want to reach me, you can email me at spermcast at gmail.com. You can text me or leave me a voicemail at 323-741-1818. You can also follow me on Instagram at spermcast. Okay, I love you so much and I'll see you next week. He could be bald and bearded, shorter or tall. Funny, smart, love basketball. Gay, straight, black, white. Tiny ass with an underbite. I just need sperm. Spermcast. And here he is. 
production. Powered by ACAST. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.